listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. Church, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is a letter to the church in the New Testament. And that's where we're going to be landing this morning as we talk through our fifth core value, gain equipping. The core values of King's Community Church are what motivates our mission. As you're turning to Ephesians 4, I'll read for you a quote from a Bible scholar that talks about this passage. Klein Snodgrass That's a name you have to pay attention to. Klein Snodgrass says this of Ephesians in his commentary on the letter. There is no passage in the New Testament more descriptive of the church in action than Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. And that is what we are going to talk about today as we explore what it means to gain equipping. Let me read these 16 verses for you. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. He said, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning or cleverness or the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is God's word for God's people. When I was a junior and senior in college, I had a special relationship with a guy. I called him my discipler. He was intentionally investing in my spiritual growth. His name is Andy Kerr. For two years, every week, Andy and I met in the bagel shop in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. And we would talk about life and the Bible and how the two intersected. And those two years were formative for me. Those two years shaped me as a man, as a follower of Christ. I believe those two years of conversations with Andy also influenced my calling as a minister of the gospel. And I'll never forget 
the last time that Andy and I met at the bagel shop before I transitioned out of college and changed chapters in life. Andy said to me, I've loved meeting together with you, but I wish, I wish that I would have taken you with me to do hospital visits. I wish that I, I would have taken you with me when I went to serve the poor. I wish that I, I would have brought you along when I was preparing sermons or messages to deliver to the, the college and young adult ministry. I wish I even would have brought you into my household from time to time just so you could see what it looks like when my wife and I interact with one another. Sometimes we, we relegate church to these teaching opportunities that are very passive where we're all just sitting looking at each other but we're not moving. Pastor and author Daniel M. says of learning environments that 70% of learning happens in the everyday stuff of life. 20% of learning happens through coaching relationships on the go. And only 10% of learning happens in a classroom setting. And yet most churches in America have reversed the order. All settings we invite people into are teaching environments. And if you're not one of the few teachers, church Church life is very passive, and we've accepted this, and some of us even expect this in church. Going back to Klein Snodgrass, he says this in his commentary on Ephesians, our problem is that we have a million-dollar salvation and a five-cent response. We seem unimpressed with God's salvation if it doesn't cause us to move. Too often we settle for the playing a harp on a cloud Christianity versus cultivating a kingdom Christianity. Our salvation isn't merely a fire insurance card that we're to sit on like a health insurance card in our wallet. Our salvation compels us with great gratitude to gain equipping to live in this world as ambassadors, as representatives of Jesus Christ Gain equipping is one of our core values because we want to be prepared to do all kinds of good works that bring glory and honor and fame to Jesus, both here and everywhere we go outside of this place. And Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us, God equips us with unity, with a diversity of gifts, and he equips us for growth. Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us that God equips the church with unity, he equips the church with a diversity of gifts, and he equips the church to grow. To this point in Ephesians, the first three chapters, the readers have only been asked to remember their past alienation from God and their acceptance of Christ. For three chapters, they've been reminded of God's goodness and the marvelous salvation that is theirs. And now, with all the force possible, Paul reminds the readers that they are implored to live a life worthy of the calling. The first thing we see that is living a life worthy of the calling is that God's people are equipped with unity. Let me reread verses 1 to 3 for us. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity, the spirit, unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. One of the great lies that plagues Western Christianity 
is that Christianity is all about a personal relationship with God. Christianity isn't less than a personal relationship with God, but it is so much more than that. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he told the crowds, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is only good when it's used in bunches. One grain of salt doesn't do anything. It takes salt working together to preserve things, to season things. Jesus also said, you, my followers, are the light of the world. You are like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. There are no cities that are just made up of one individual. Community is central to Christianity. And namely, in verses 2 and 3, Paul tells us that Christians make up community that's characterized by humility and gentleness and patience and peace. Humility is to reject self-centeredness. C.S. Lewis famously said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Gentleness is to reject harshness and violence. Patience is to reject the demands of our own agendas. And peace is to reject our own rights for the well-being of others. Don't mistake that with becoming pushovers but rather it's putting our own preferences aside in order that we can help mature those who are younger in the faith. Church, I'm going to touch on a sensitive subject for a second. I guarantee there will be a day at King's Community Church where we will no longer sing your favorite song the way that you like it being sung. But because we are a type of people who long to bring peace for the sake of unity in the body of Christ. As we mature in our faith, we need to be willing to set aside our preferences in order that new people can trust Christ and be grown in the faith. And there's going to be a day when you come and tell me, can we just do that again the way we used to do it? And the answer is going to be no, because we are more excited about helping mature young believers than we are keeping mature Christians happy with their preferences. You might think to yourself, isn't this a little bit extreme? Doesn't, doesn't all this seem passive and weak? My answer to that is no. I actually believe self-control and others-focused love takes tremendous strength. This makes me think of, of the relationship between uh, two figures in history, Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey. Jackie Robinson is a Hall of Fame baseball player, and Branch Rickey is a general manager that's also in the Hall of Fame. Together, they were known for breaking the color barrier in baseball. In a hostile and segregated world, they were two men who were united by their Christian faith. And when Branch was questioning the supremely talented Robinson, Robinson interjected and asked a question of his own. He asked the general manager, are you looking for someone who doesn't have the courage to fight back? And Branch Rickey responded, I'm looking for someone who has the courage not to. Jackie Robinson had the strength of skill and the strength of faith to be the man for the job. And together, they literally changed the dynamic of the world because they possessed humility, gentleness, patience, and peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, and peace are strength under control. They are not the absence of strength. They are strength under control. In verse 2, 
Paul says we're supposed to conduct ourselves this way while we're bearing with one another in love. That verbiage is kind of funny. That verbiage, bearing with one another in love, in 2019 could, could literally be interpreted putting up with one another in love. Uh, don't you love the exhortation to just put up with each other? In 2019, however, I think the idea of putting up with each other in love could be the most radical spiritual discipline that we're called to. Because we are such a polarized society that's getting farther and farther apart from people who are different than us and surrounding ourselves with people who share the same preferences. But church, something special happens in Christian communities made up of different types of people who are committed to putting each other first in love despite their differences. We begin to love people who are different than us, whether they're different races or pay grades or political persuasions or generations or even people who possess different quirks than we do. And we all possess quirks, whether you believe it or not. When you have nothing in common with someone but your faith in Jesus Christ, it's impossible to fake love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But rather, we have to persevere. We have to work through that together. And the result, when we put up with each other in love, is that we begin to listen to people, and despite our differences with them, we begin to love people in spite of their quirks, in spite of their distinctions. And when they grieve, we share in their sorrows. And when they celebrate, we share in the celebration. We begin to become a transformed community that resonates to the world. You have a place here. I have a 12-year-old girl and a 6-year-old boy at home that couldn't be more different than one another. They look alike, and that is about where the similarities end. Most of the time, they're either just coexisting or they're annoying each other. Uh, but when our children put up with each other in love, when they sacrifice their preferences for the good of the other, my wife and I delight. We love seeing those inklings of moments where they put up with each other in love. Can you imagine how much joy it brings our Heavenly Father when brothers and sisters in Christ put up with each other's differences in love for the sake of unity in the body of Christ? Paul reminds us it's going to feel like work at times. We're told to make every effort to keep unity. Why make the effort? In verses 4 to 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. God, God is one. He's called us to be one. Paul gives them a little theology recap right there, and it's like a parent explaining the same thing to a child a hundred different times in a hundred different ways. Why work towards unity? Because everything God did for you, he did to make people who were divided by sin and selfishness one again under the headship of Jesus Christ. That is why we work toward unity. You were saved as an individual, but you were saved into a family. And our family name is what brings us together under one heavenly father. 
under one righteous son and under one unifying spirit. You see, God himself is in fact three in one. We are a unified community because we worship a unified God. Unity itself is not the goal. Unity in Christ is. Our efforts to strive for unity despite our differences prove that we really believe God's way is better than our own preference-driven, self-centered lives. And then we move on from there to see that God's people are equipped with diverse gifts. So in in the midst of being made one, There is still a diversity among the people. Listen to what Paul says. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Recently, I've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my young son, Rocco. I'm going to give you a generous spoiler alert uh, from a book that was published in 1950. I'm about to give you some details of this story. And some of you are thinking, they made books out of those movies? That's great. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the white witch has cast a spell on Narnia. And the way the spell is described, the way the curse is described is, it's always winter and never Christmas. And the presence of four young siblings in Narnia marks the beginning of the end for the white witch's reign. And amidst the children's journey, Father Christmas has found his way into Narnia. Things are changing. He finds the children and gives them gifts. And when he gives them gifts, he reminds them, these are tools, not toys. And though the great lion Aslan will be the one to defeat the witch, the children are being equipped to play an important part in the battle. And an epic story ensues. Jesus, God's righteous son, possesses every good and perfect gift. He has no need. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, is explaining to the church, Jesus is the one who crossed the bridge from heaven to earth. When we were estranged from God because of sin, when we couldn't climb our way back into good standing with God, Jesus condescended. He came down to us. And Jesus came down for a very specific purpose, to battle death, and he won. Jesus resurrected from the grave, conquering death. He ascended into heaven, and the story of God tells us that in doing so, he shared the gifts that he has with who? His church, in order that we could be built up for the glory of his name. He offers us the gift of salvation, and for all who are saved, he gives us the gifts to join him in the fight. Like the children in Narnia are a part of Aslan's army, we are invited into Christ's army, prompted by love and pushing back the darkness with the gifts that he has given us.
in this letter, Paul explains that there were some leadership gifts. There were apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, but everyone has gifts. That means if you are a follower of Christ, Christ has entrusted to you gifts to use for his glorious purposes. And everyone is called to get into the game. The leadership gifts exist not for others to sit and watch, but for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. That's why you have gifts, to build up the body of Christ. In their book, Designed to Lead, pastors Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck write, churches in general struggle to equip people for ministry. In a recent research project, pastors were surveyed and less than 25% of church leaders said they had a plan for training people for ministry. Essentially, the vast majority of churches admit that they have absolutely no strategy for developing the people in their churches for ministry. Clearly, equipping others is a missing conviction in churches. Does your Christianity result in sitting on a cloud and playing a harp? Or does your Christianity result in in investing in a kingdom impact in this world? Paul's exhortation is clear. When leaders train and prepare God's people for ministry, the result is the body of Christ is built up. Church, your gifts are going to be found in community, and your gifts are for the community. So I ask, have you found your gifts? Are you using your gifts? Are you stewarding the gifts that God has entrusted with you? What's the next step for you? If you're a Christian, you have gifts for the church, but they're only going to be discovered as you engage with the church. It's a lot easier to steer a moving car than a parked car. Don't wait to jump in. It may be time for you to jump in right now. Some people may jump in as a greeter and end up finding over the course of time that your passion is a disciple maker in kids ministry. There's no paralysis of analysis in the church. We don't have time to sit and wait and try to figure it out on our own. Start serving and the gifts will emerge. Surely the early church in the first century wasn't sitting around in their small group saying, I wonder what my giftedness is. Rather, they were so compelled by the mission of God that they just started moving. And as they saw needs, they identified people who could help meet those needs. And that's where the church really began to get traction. Now, this reminds me of a man that I met at a church in Ohio who jumped in by serving on the hospitality team because there was a need This particular guy had a passion for high-end coffee. God bless his heart. While serving on the hospitality team, he learned about their very average coffee bar. And he said, what if we had a pour-over bar? And if you don't know what that is, I'm, I'm hurting for how you've lived life up to this point. He saw a need, in his opinion, And he asked the leaders, what if we had a pour-over bar? And the leaders are like, man, we've got so many things going on. I don't think we should be investing our efforts in that right now. And as he continued to serve, he went back and drew up a a blueprint of what it would look like to have a pour-over bar as part of their coffee ministry. 
And then uh, he was tinkering in his wood shop, and he actually built this pour-over bar. It, it looked gorgeous. And he didn't stop there. He drew up what it would look like to have a full team of people to, to train them and to man this thing so he wouldn't have to take care of it on his own. And once he did all those things, while he continued serving in the hospitality ministry, it was one of those instances where they were like, I don't think we have any good reason to stop him now. So literally every Sunday at Substance Church in Ashland, Ohio, they have the most epic high-end coffee ministry. And you know, you know what the point of it is? It's not that they have a really good coffee product. It's that someone got involved and they saw a need. And eventually he saw how his skills and his passion and his needs intersect and the needs of the church intersected. And they didn't need a pour-over bar, but this church is passionate about hospitality. And they had someone who had the creativity to say, I think we could take hospitality to another level. And he got involved in the game in the meantime. He built this ministry. And now they're a church that ministers to a, a whole group of people they weren't expecting to minister to showing hospitality in a unique way. A healthy church is not a perfect church, but she is a church that's being collectively formed more and more into the image of Jesus. Paul writes that as the training of the saints and the work of ministry occurs, a church will be growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Thirdly, we see God's people are equipped to grow. God has a concern for growth. Listen to the last couple of verses, beginning in verse 14. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. They're not going to be led astray by false teaching, no. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. When we gather on Sunday, our goal isn't just to pull off a church service. Rather, our goal is having a regular church gathering to reorient our lives around the person of Jesus Christ so that we can grow. We want to grow stable. We want to grow strong in our foundation in Jesus Christ. But we also want to grow confident to be sent out into the world to grow God's church. God is concerned with the growth of his church, both upward and outward. He wants us to grow in maturity and in measure. It's good for us to grow. Babies are cute, but babies are exhausting. Amen. <laughs> God wants us to grow, to learn to walk and talk with him. He wants us to learn to feed ourselves the substance that he's provided for us through his word. He wants us to learn responsibility and serving others. And ultimately, he wants us to reproduce more Christ followers. When our faith grows stronger, it should result in sharing our faith with more people and helping them grow in their relationship with God. 
When we reproduce Christ followers, that means more people in the family of God. That means more gifts to steward for the glory of God. That means more lives redeemed, more families transformed, more communities blessed, and more churches planted. Because God provides growth for his church. He equips his church to grow. He has equipped us with everything we need for health and holiness, but it requires that we all get involved. Growth doesn't happen accidentally. We have to plan to gain equipping for the work of ministry. When we read the Apostle Paul's words to the Ephesian church, we're reminded that sin fractures and fragments everything. It says, only be with people who are like you. But we are also reminded that Jesus brings unity where there was brokenness. Jesus taught us how to put others before ourselves in love. And he didn't just teach us how to do that. He showed us how to do that by coming to earth to be in our presence despite our sin. Sin tempts us to be envious and jealous of others' gifts. Sometimes we sit in seats and say, I wish I was more like her. Or I wish I had his gift. Then I'd really be excited about serving in the body of Christ. Meanwhile, rejecting what God has given you for his glory and the good of others. Jesus graciously and generously gave up his life for our benefit. And when he resurrected from the grave, he shared his gifts with us. And every gift we have is undeserved and good. Sin says, consume more to grow yourself. It says, sit down, pick up a menu, and see what you want to get out of church community. And meanwhile, Jesus implores us to steward what we have for the growth of the whole body of Christ. Jesus didn't just teach against sin, he conquered sin. Turning to Christ will always have implications for our lives and in our relationships with other people. We've been invited to participate in the mission of God. We exist to exalt God, to equip the church, and to evangelize the lost. Where do we begin? What now? When you come to King's Community Church, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, we're glad that you're here. But when you come in, we're handing you a map, not a menu. A menu says, come sit down and order whatever you want. A map says, this is the direction we're moving, and we would love for you to join us on the journey. King's Community Church has a mission statement to be a Christ-centered community, bringing God's story to life by making missional disciples. Our direction, our destination is moving toward Jesus. And as we move closer to him, our lives are transformed And when we engage in the lives of others, their lives should be transformed too. When I was taught manners and etiquette growing up, uh, I would often hear, what you do at home, you're going to do out. In a similar fashion, what we practice in our church gatherings, we should take into the world with us. This is why we need to pursue unity using the diversity of our gifts to build up the body of Christ. This is what it means to be a church in action. If you look over to your left, you're going to see a ministry opportunities wall. 
and this is a wall filled with opportunities we have to build up the body of Christ right now at King's Community Church. Lots of the spots are already filled, but there's room for us to grow. And we've got tremendous leaders in every area of ministry, but we believe God wants to do more with the people that he's entrusting us with. That's why we're inviting you to prayerfully consider joining us. We're a vehicle moving in a direction, and it's a lot easier to steer a moving car than it is a parked car. It might be time for you to jump in. Uh, There are job descriptions for all of our various ministry areas on the board on that wall, and it even gives you uh, hours commitments each week for what it takes to, to fill those ministry roles. If you're not already engaged in the life of this church, we're encouraging you to prayerfully consider joining us. You're not signing up for a lifelong commitment. You're merely, if you're walking over to that table after this service, you're merely exploring what it might look like to take your next step with us. To bring unity, to steward a diversity of gifts in order to build up the body of Christ. Will you join the work? We are headed in a direction, which is Christward. If you jump in now as opportunities grow and new ones emerge, we will work together with you to find your sweet spot for ministry in order that we can grow in maturity and measure because our greatest desire is to follow Christ and that's what he's called us to. I leave you with similar words that my friend Andy gave me several years ago when I was starting a new chapter of life. We love meeting with you, but we are inviting you to join us in the work of ministry here and in the everyday stuff of life. Will you prayerfully consider joining us to build the body of Christ? Almighty God, we thank you for for meeting us in this place. We thank you for instructing us with your word. God, we admit that that you are right about the state of our hearts, uh, that we can be self-centered and preference-driven. And Lord, together we, we want to lay that down before you. And we want to put up with each other in love for the sake of of unity under your righteous son. God, I believe you have given the people in this room everything we need for the health and holiness of the church to grow in maturity and to grow in measure. Lord, for anyone's heart who is stirring to connect, I pray that you would give them the courage to take the next step and be a part of a church in action in order that everything we do here can be like practice and preparation to take your mission to the world that we live in. God, thank you for your generous gifts. Help us to steward them well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.